This is Eyewitness News Up Close with Bill Witter. He's a former New York City Comptroller, former Borough President of Manhattan, and a former mayoral candidate. Scott Stringer, is he looking to make another run for mayor next year? Is he prepared to challenge incumbent Mayor Eric Adams? And can Stringer really win? We ask him those questions this morning. But first, the hotly contested race for New York's third congressional district. This to replace the scandal-drenched and expelled rookie Congressman George Santos. Democrat Tom Suozzi running against Republican nominee Mazi Pillow. The special election, February 13th. This morning, former Congressman Suozzi joins us on Up Close. And good morning, everyone. Welcome to Up Close. I'm Bill Ritter. Both Democrats and Republicans have spent millions of dollars to try to win the special election in the 3rd Congressional District of New York. Most of the district is in Nassau County on Long Island. In a House with a bare Republican majority, this is a crucial contest. Former Congressman Tom Suozzi, a Democrat, trying to win back his old seat, but this time it could be tougher to win with more Republicans now in this newly redrawn district. Meanwhile, the Republicans have chosen Nassau County legislator Mazi Pillip. She is an Ethiopian Jew who served in the Israeli army. I spoke recently with Mr. Swazi. Congressman Swazi, thank you for joining us once again on Up Close. Appreciate it. Yeah, Bill, good to be here. Uh, but the, the hourglass is, is dwindling down for Election Day. Early election starts? February 3rd. And the real election is February 13th. Correct. Correct. All right, so what's going to happen after that? Somebody's going to win. Uh, and then somebody's going to lose, and you'll have to run again, right? You have to run again in November. There might even be a primary in June, so we don't know what's going to happen, but there will definitely be a primary uh, in June scheduled. We don't know who's going to run. I think it'll, if I win, it'll just be me. If she wins, it'll probably just be her, and then there'll be a general election in November. So I'm just making this right before we dig into the issues here. It, it, you, if whoever loses isn't going to run for a, a re-election again, is that what you're saying? No, whoever loses can run again, but they may have to go through a primary. Got it. Okay. So chances are, if you lose, if you should lose, you will run again in June or, or whenever the another uh, primary is, and you'll run again if you win that. In November, yeah. Yeah. Okay. So this is a, a little confusing because you have so many elections before the November real election. Yeah, and it's an election on February 13th. You know, it's cold outside. Everybody's got their vitamin D deprivation from being <laughs> in the winter, and it's like we got to make sure people show up. All right. So how do you stand right now? It's it's tighter than you may have thought, according to one poll that's been done, right? I've always expected it to be tight. Uh, this is a big Republican advantage in this district. There's a Democratic registration advantage, but the Republicans have been sweeping up everything on Long Island for the past three years. Uh, we had three races in uh, November, Town of Oyster Bay, Town of North Hampstead, and Northeast Queens. Those are the three big components right. of the district. Town of Oyster Bay, the Democrats lost 69 to 31. North Hampstead, Democrats lost 55 to 45. Northeast Queens, Democrats lost 60-40. So it's a tough, tough district. Now, I'm polling ahead. Uh, I've been around. People know me. They trust me. I have good favorables. People like what I've done throughout my career. Uh, but this race is going to be a very tough race where they have a lot of troops because, you know, I don't know if you remember the old days, but this was the strongest Republican machine in the United States of America. When I became county executive, uh, we took the wind out of their sails for a few years. Uh, but they're back to full strength. And the district you're in, District 3, is not the same district that you were in Congress you, you represented Congress before. It's about 70, 80 percent the same. Well, that's a big chunk. Yeah, it's a big it made chunk. a difference, right? Yeah. Oh, no question about it. Yeah. Uh, but we're working really hard. We've got a lot of partners and a lot of friends helping us uh, in Massapequa and in Levittown and some of the new communities that are in the district. All right. So the people know you. You know the you know the area and you know Congress. You know what's happening. I want to talk to you about Congress and and how different it is than 
when you made a deal with, uh, you know, Pete King to have an immigration compromise. I don't think that would happen these days right now. And let's talk about that. But I want to talk first about your, your, your platforms. You say you've come up with a 10-point plan to solve the big problems of the district. We don't have time for a 10-point plan, but what are the top three? I'd say right now people are really worried about the cost of living. Uh, that's why the state and local tax deduction is a big priority of mine. I passed it three times when I, in the, when I was in the House. We couldn't get it through the Senate. Therefore, it was not signed by the president. But I will make that a major priority again to get the state and local tax deduction back, as well as reduce prescription drug prices. Uh, number two, everybody's freaking out about the immigration crisis. They see uh, people streaming over the border. They see it on the news every night. People are very upset about it. We haven't been, had a compromise on that for 35 years since Ronald Reagan was the president. Right now is the best possible time to make a compromise on immigration that we've had in decades. Uh, and it's being squandered away. And I'm sure we're going to talk about that some more. We will. In a few more moments. Uh, and then I've always been a big environmentalist. I'm very concerned about uh, uh, the storms we've been having. I don't know if you remember the smoke that came down from Canada this summer. You uh -huh. know, what if that went off for months or something? And we don't control that. It's in Canada. We see the erosion on the beaches. We see the storms. It rained two weeks ago. I was like, is this going to be another one of those once every 10 year, once every 100 year storms that are, seem to be happening a couple times a year now? So uh, I'm very concerned about the environment, cleaning up the Long Island Sound, drinking water. I'm a big environmentalist, endorsed by all the environmental groups. You said you've, you've passed the SALT uh, tax to come back before, and it, it didn't happen. This was under the Trump tax plan. Cost a lot of middle class and upper middle class people a lot of money, more than they can afford. They, if they brought it back, some of their personal recession in the Northeast, certainly, in Nassau County, in all these blue states, uh, there was their own personal recessions would go away. There's this was no a body blow to New York. Yep. And President Trump said at the time, this is going to hurt New York, it's going to hurt people in California, but I don't care, they're not voting for me anyway. That hurt us badly. If you're a, a husband and wife making $150,000 a year in my district, you're doing okay, but you're not rich. But if you're a senator from Oklahoma and you hear about $150,000 salary in a household, you're like, oh, they must live in a gated community. They must live. Uh, they must uh, have a pool in the backyard. They must uh, have a, a, a Rolls Royce. A, yeah, an in-house <laughs> in movie theater. Exactly. So that's one of the problems in our country is people don't understand the regional differences that exist. There's too much everybody attacking each other, and you're one of those. No, you're one of those. Instead of actually sitting down and trying to negotiate resolutions to the real problems that people face in their lives. But that's a good thing to say, and everyone's going to applaud that and say, you know, great, let's have more of that. And yet this is not where the country is right now, and it doesn't appear to where it's being, it's, it's, going, it's headed. Well, that's why you got to work at it. I mean, I was the vice chairman of the Problem Solvers Caucus. We had 25 Democrats, 25 Republicans. We met every week to try and find common ground. That's why we got the infrastructure deal done. Uh, that's why we got the CHIPS Act done. That's why we got the, the protection for veterans who are exposed to burn pits. It was bipartisan work that we did to make people's lives better. Uh, and you have to work at it. I was in a bipartisan workout class. I, was in a, a, I went to the bipartisan prayer breakfast, and I can tell you stories about that. Uh, I, I would do everything I could just to understand my colleagues on both sides of the aisle. You mentioned earlier Peter King, okay? Yep. Peter King's a Republican, I'm a Democrat. He's supporting my opponent. But I worked with him on five different things to clean up the water in Bethpage uh, that was affected by the Navy in Grumman. I worked with him on guns. I worked with him on immigration. I worked with him on the state and local tax deduction. We've got to get beyond this attack, attack, attack and start focusing on solving problems. And it, you say, oh, that doesn't seem to be happening. You've got to work at it. It depends who you elect. It depends in, in this race. I'm very transparent. People know everything about me. I've been around a long time, as you know. I've laid out my 10-point plan with details in it. I come on every show that will take me, put five people in a room, I'll show up and give a speech. 
My opponent, on the other hand, will not do debates. She will not show up for shows like this. Uh, she's not giving detailed plans, and she's just relying on the same old talk points from the bosses and from Washington that it's attack, attack, attack. People are sick of that. People want us to work together to solve the problems. And it's not just, I've been doing this a long time. This is not just naive, happy, Pollyannish talk. This is what it takes to make government work. Yeah, you're talking about Mazie Pillet. Uh, she's a Democrat, but running as a Republican. Uh, she was a former Israeli soldier. She's here now, of course. Um, it's, the poll showed it is closer than, than other people might have thought it was, certainly than you hoped it would. Uh, why is that happening, and how is that going to be different? Well, the Republican machine in Nassau County is incredibly strong. Uh, they are very good at getting the troops out. They get the employees from the town of Hempstead, the town of Oyster Bay, uh, the town of North Hempstead, the county of Nassau. They run all those things. And one of the requirements is, is you have to work for the party or you're not going to be sticking around in your job for very long. Uh, so, and they're using very potent attack messages, uh, as they have been for past three years, mm -hmm. uh, against all candidates uh, to just go, 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 go attack. And I'm just suggesting that after George Santos, you want candidates who are going to be transparent. You want to know what's going on with them. You want to know what their background is. You want to know what their finances are, for example. I mean, there's been questions right. about her finances in the New York Times and Newsday. Uh, so I'm right here. I'm out in front. And I would hope we could get my opponent to do the same, but she won't. Yeah, we've asked her, uh, and we'll talk about that later. Um, George Santos, by the way, who was kicked out of, the, out of Congress, uh, did show up this last week at the uh, victory speech by uh, by former President Trump in New Hampshire. Oh, my gosh, I didn't even know that. Yeah, he, he walked right up in there. Uh, let, let's talk about uh, immigration, because uh, we just have a few minutes left, and I, I do want to talk about this. You said you got some co compromise with Pete Kane. You brought it together. Um, wh where are we at right now? You're getting uh, attacked by your opponent um, for once having said, I kicked ICE out of Nassau County and yeah. Long Island. When I was Nassau County executive, ICE came in. They wouldn't coordinate with our police department. They had 96 warrants, of which they only had the proper addresses for six addresses. They attacked these houses, were 90 houses. They broke down the door, came in with heavy weapons, and they scared the hell out of these people. Uh, they drew their guns on two Nassau County police officers. They're wearing cowboy hats. They've got shotguns. And my police commissioner said, uh, County Executive, we can't work with these guys. You can't let them keep on working here. So I kicked them out. I said, we're not going to work with you going forward. And that was at the request of my police commissioner. Uh, when I was in Congress, I supported ICE. There was a, uh, a commercial I've just put out. Uh, I was one of only 18 members of Congress on the Democratic side that voted to support ICE when a resolution came out. They were saying abolish. Some of the far left were saying abolish ICE, abolish ICE. I said, we're not going to abolish ICE, the same as the Republicans when they were saying, let's abolish the IRS. That's nonsensical. I'm not going to play these games. I'm supporting our law enforcement. I'm supporting ICE. When it came time for a bipartisan deal to fund the border, I was one of only half the Democrats that voted to fund the border. My whole career, I've been a bipartisan person trying to work to solve problems to make people's lives better, even when I had to stand up to my own party. I'm a Democrat. I'll always be a Democrat. I'll stick to my values, but I'll work with anybody. I don't care if they're progressive, moderate, or conservative, if you want to try and work together to make people's lives better. Your own politics, if you had to describe them and, and define them, you're sort of middle-of-the-road Democrat, right? I'd say I'm a problem solver. I want to fix problems. That's all I want to do. It's not worth being in politics for the ego, for the competition, for the game. It's only worth it if you're actually helping people making things better. Yeah. Abortion, I'm not sure, is much of an issue in New York. It is around the country, and therefore it affects women in New York and men in New York. Um, your, your opponent and you have different opinions about uh, abortion and a woman's right to choose and, and, and reproduction rights. 
you had you changed your opinion a little bit more. You moved to the left on this. I'm pro-choice. I have a hundred percent rating from Planned Parenthood. Okay. She's pro-life, uh, and she says she won't vote for a national abortion ban. I don't believe it. I think she's been endorsed. I know she's been endorsed by the conservative party. She says she agrees with the conservative party. They fully vetted her, uh, and. I will vote to codify Roe versus Wade. Will she do that? We don't know, because she won't answer questions. She won't do debates. She won't talk about any details about any particular issue. And this is a very serious issue. You have talked to her once before. Last time we talked, I think you said that, right? Once before you met her? I met her once briefly, yeah. And didn't no interactions with her, no opinions? I saw her at one event recently at a, uh, the Holocaust Center, and we shook hands and said hello. Yeah, okay. Um, one minute left. You got to. You got to have it. Why do you want to? Why do you want this job back? You ran for governor, didn't get it. You know. I wonder whether you, if you had to do it over again, would you have stayed in the Congress? But tell us what, why you want to come back. Because our country's in a lot of trouble, and people are worried about all the problems that we're facing. As I mentioned before, cost of living, the migrant crisis, mm -hmm. uh, climate change, Israel, Ukraine, all these different. Our kids looking at their phones and so depressed and anxious about so many things that we read about all the time. We've got all these problems and we look to Congress and we say, okay, what are you doing to help us? Oh, we're kicking out the speaker. We can't do a budget. We're threatening to shut the government down again. And by the way, we refuse to negotiate on immigration now. We just heard about that, that the Republicans are backing away from the bipartisan negotiations because President Trump wants to use it as a political issue. And as Mitt Romney said today, just to today, that's appalling. And we thank Tom Swasey for being on Up Close. By the way, we invited his opponent Mazzy Pillip to appear on Up Close. Her campaign did not respond to that. We also had offered her to host a debate here in our studio. Mr. Swazi said yes. Ms. Pillip's campaign turned down that offer. People who disappear without a trace. Where is she? The most notorious murder cases in New York. Pure evil. And the most devious killers. There's a Hannibal Lecter feel to him. For chilling true crime stories, follow the True Crime NYC podcast wherever you listen. All right, we're going to switch now to New York City politics. The mayoral primary election still a year and a half or so away. But with Mayor Adams' approval ratings lower than he would like, to be sure, there has been talk of fellow Democrats perhaps challenging him in the primary next year. One of those people exploring a run, perhaps, for mayor, Scott Stringer, former comptroller who lost the Democratic mayoral primary the last time. Scott, good to see you. What you been doing good the last two years? Good to be back. Years? Well, I've been uh, doing some consulting work and... Uh, watching out for my two young kids and also being a, a regular New Yorker. Somebody, and what's it feel like? You know, it's great to interact with cab drivers, people on the subways, people talking about how we want to see a city with a new direction, with new hope. Uh, people know that crime is up, housing's down, and education's not where it's supposed to be. So I'm exploring a possible run for mayor. I'm going to hold house parties around the city, engage with real New Yorkers, talk about how we can people can aspire to the middle class, how we can fight uh, uh, for economic prosperity, not just for the top 1%, but for the whole city. So I'm excited to get back in the game. Uh, I love public service. I've served in the assembly. I've served as borough president, served as controller. I think we need somebody who has a vision, but also someone who knows the fiscal issues like the back of his hand, somebody who's actually worked on development issues, economic expansion. I think that's what we need right now. So I'm exploring the possibility. You know what the odds are of uh, someone trying to uh, uh, take over in a primary from a, an incumbent mayor. Well, it hasn't happened for many, many years. Uh, Mr. Dinkins did that, right? And well, Mr. 
Mr. Beam, uh, a Beam, was defeated as an incumbent mayor. Koch, I, I think it's Koch. Koch. A guy yeah. by the name Ed Koch, yeah. who everyone said couldn't win. But since then, it hasn't. And the question is, uh, you're a Democrat. Mr. Adams is a Democrat. You've known him a long time. Why do you want to take him on now? He's, he's only halfway through his term. Well, it's, look, it's certainly not personal. We've been friends for a long time. But I'm not happy, like many New Yorkers, about what's happening in our city. We do need a reset. We need new direction. When we talk about economic prosperity, it's not happening. When we talk about housing production, it's not happening. Crime is still up, felony assaults, people don't feel safe. The streets are a mess. We're not expanding our transportation network. And I think the quick uh, slap together proposals by the Adams administration is not bringing fundamental change. So when I'm mayor, we're gonna have a real affordable housing plan. We're gonna invest in education. Look at this budget right now. The mayor blamed the migrants for the budget crisis. He embraced uh, migrants on a Monday, blamed the ills of the city on them on a Wednesday, didn't even mention them in the state of the city speech. He doesn't have a relationship with Albany. He doesn't have a relationship with the Biden administration. It's just time for change, Bill, and I want to use my expertise. I'm a lifelong New Yorker. I'm raising two kids here. I do think we have to move in a different direction. So let me, let me ask this. If, if you were, you know, when you were running for mayor, during the debates, we said that 110th mayor was going to have the more challenges than any other mayor in New York, a new mayor, including, including after the 9-11 attacks. And yet, you're taking, taking him on before he's even halfway, a little more than halfway through his through his. Through well, his well the, the reality is the first two years of a mayor's term is really how you lay the foundation and get the most accomplished because you do have the sense of being new and you're able to initiate the plans you talk about. But that hasn't happened. So there should be a robust primary. There should be a challenge. We should debate the issues. That's, by the way, how incumbent mayors get better when they know there's somebody who's offering a different vision. And that's called democracy, right. and that's what we should be doing. I was going to say, it's, it's the backbone of democracy, is yeah. to have that kind of... And what would you do? What would Bill Ritter do if he did not host a mayoral debate? I, 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 <laughs> well, well, we'll see. Um, if, if that was the one thing that you know could save everything, then yes, of course. <laughs> we, hope, we hope you guys are... All come on, guys and gals. Sure. All come on for the for that for that debate. Uh, if you were mayor, you know you've known him a long time. You're buds with him. If you were mayor and he came in after you, saying, "Hey, I'm gonna I'm gonna go after uh, Stringer because you know what? He's not doing with the job that I think I can do." What would you feel? Well, I would look and look at whoever the challenger was, and I would make my case. But what's the case here? Uh, he had $12 billion worth of expenses because of the migrants. $12 billion. And the, no, no, but, but that, but, wait, and, hold on. And the White House did not give him the money that he needed. He thought he was going to have. From Chuck Schumer, he thought he was going to have the money. So it didn't happen. Where did you get $12 billion? He blamed the financial ills of the city on the migrants and then changed course. Suddenly, we don't have the crisis he said we did. He wasn't uh, transparent about the numbers. He didn't, under, he didn't admit to the fact that he still has these secret outside contracts that are really hurting the city, but he won't own up to it. This budget mess is his administration's fault. They didn't negotiate with the city council because for months he's been having a budget dance by himself. The migrants didn't cause the fiscal crisis. The city caused the fiscal crisis. Now, is there expenses related to migrants? Is there? Yes, of course. Should he be having a strategy to get into the room of the Biden administration, they won't even let him in the room. He had a good relationship when he first got elected. What happened to that relationship? Well, I think you have to ask him. Him who? 
Adams or Biden? You can ask both. Well, we tried, you know, we tried to. Okay. Uh, and no one's talking. No, well, no, no one's telling me, but here's the bottom line. If you can't, if you can't get in the room in Washington, D.C., if you can't build coalitions nationally, if the legislature rejects all of your initiatives, if you can't have a bad relationship with the city council, maybe you have to look in the mirror and say, you know, maybe it's my fault. And maybe we need a course correction. His poll numbers are low. 28% favorability, which is very low for a mayor, uh, for anybody. Uh, if he had higher ones, would you still be thinking of running? Well, look, if I thought the city was heading in the right direction, I would say so. If I thought the city was on a better path, I would say so. Unfortunately, it's not. And look, I, I think there's a lot of good people in the administration. I like Eric Adams personally. We've run against each other before. Mm -hmm. But look, enough with optics. When I'm mayor, there's going to be no more czars. The rat czar will be retired. The, the, uh, the, the czars that are just one man or one woman shows will be gone. We're going to reinvest and build out our agencies again. Right now, there's another proposal in the state of the city that we should create a, yet another transportation uh, infrastructure uh, plan for you know, apps and how we're going to deal with that. He's taking all of the work of the Department of Transportation, putting it into a new agency. You know what that's called? Bureaucracy. Okay. Bureaucracy that doesn't get things done. Uh, yes or no question, because we have about 10 seconds left. Okay. Have you brought those criticisms to him? Have you talked to him about this? We have not sat down, but my sense is he's not sitting down with a lot of people. Okay. Scott Stringer, good luck. Good Thank to you. see you. Welcome back to Up Close. Thank you. All right. Good to be back. Come on anytime. Thank you. Thank you, Scott. When we come back with former President Trump winning New Hampshire and Iowa, is there anything for Nikki Haley to stay with him and stay in this race? We talked to our political team next. Welcome back. Let's get right to the presidential race and welcome our political team. Rick Klein, ABC News political director and political consultant, Hank Scheinkopf. Gentlemen, thank you. Welcome once again to Up Close. Let's start with uh, last week uh, with New Hampshire. And, I, you know, I, let's talk right off the top about Donald Trump's uh, victory speech. Uh, I, I want to get your take on it. Let's get yours first, Rick. Well, it went right after Nikki Haley. And a week earlier, he had given a relatively generous, magnanimous, healing speech after Iowa. And people were saying, is this a new Trump? And I think you got the old Trump right back. He's angry this primary isn't over. And I'll tell you, that plays into Nikki Haley's hands to the extent there's still a primary contest. That's the Donald Trump that the Haley campaign wants to square off against, someone who's angry uh, and defiant about the fact that uh, anyone else would dare challenge him. He's, he's winning, it apparently looks like, Hank. And, and it would seem to me, if it, you're the political consultant, not me, but wouldn't you be advising him or would you be advising him to say, hey, you need to expand your base, not limit the number of people, especially if they're in your party, that you want to vote for you? Exactly accurate. You know, the reality here is somewhat different. If you look at who voted in New Hampshire and who voted in Iowa and what kind of ethnodemographic base they come from or what kind of financial base or what kind of education base, more educated voters, if you look at New Hampshire, are starting to like Donald Trump more. The more vitriolic he becomes, the less likely they are to continue liking him. And what role might all these suits and trials and indictments uh, play in all this? Because he gets very angry in court, Rick. He's doing it this last week. Yeah, and look, I think his Republican opponents made a miscalculation in thinking that this would help them because he'd be off the trail. It turns out it helped him center the message around his persecution and the other candidates, up to including Nikki Haley for a long time, basically fed into that by suggesting that, yeah, there was some political motivation and that he would deserve a pardon. That's now gone. And if there's still a primary campaign, we'll have to see if it's a liability. So far, though, 
uh, it has only been a political plus for him to be able to portray that. And the longer that he can play out the clock, the, the, the better that it feeds into his campaign. He wants to delay all this till after the election. If he can do that, he can rile up a base. Just the question is how much more than that. And it doesn't appear, Hank, that Nikki Haley is going to get out of the race, at least for now. She's thinking something may happen, right? Why should she? She believes, whether rightly or wrongly, that South Carolina will deliver for her. It's not likely, frankly. She hasn't had a real competitive race there in 10 years. She's got people running against her on the inside. They want Trump. They don't want her. Um, you know, Scott is helpful. Senator Scott has been, uh, been spending a lot of time with Trump. Is very helpful. It's going to be hard for her to win there unless Donald Trump gives it to her by acting idiotically. Yeah. All right. Last, last question. Let's talk about Mr. Biden. Uh, incredible numbers for the, uh, the growth in the economy. Uh, coming out this last week. Uh, and yet you don't hear him talking as much, perhaps, as we might think he would be talking about this, given the fact that the, you know, the election race is now on. Rick? Yeah, I think the challenge is, is convincing people that things are as good as they seem to be on paper. And the Biden team has taken a pause on pushing Bidenomics as an unabashed good thing. They're hoping that it, that reality settles in for people, that it then allows them to make this the election the choice between essentially two incumbents that it would be. But but you're right, the, the, the numbers are not aligning with the politics. And I don't think the Biden campaign is going to push it, at least for now, anymore. A lot of things are going to happen in the next yeah. nine or ten months. And Hank, any deal that Congress is going to make now about the, the, uh, the economy and the border situation. Mr. Trump's now more in charge than ever before of the, certainly the House. Look, if uh, they don't make a deal, the guy that's going to get blamed is not going to be the speaker. He's yeah. not on the ballot. The guy that'll get blamed is Joe Biden. Interesting. Okay. Guys, thank you for the quick but insightful interview today. Uh, we'll see you next time. Take care. We'll be right back. And that's going to do it for this edition of Up Close. Tiempo with Joe Torres is coming up next. If you missed any of today's programs, no worries. I'll post today's segments on my Facebook page tomorrow. And you can also watch the show on our new podcast on any of our ABC7NY platforms. Thank you all for watching. I'm Bill Ritter. And for all of us here at Channel 7 Eyewitness News, we wish you health and peace. And let's take care of each other.